Well, we're in Judges 13. I believe we're having communion this Sunday and also a baptism as well. So we have an action-packed Sunday service. That'll be after the second service. And Judges 13 I'm excited about because for the next few chapters, we're going to be in the life of Samson, one of the judges I can most relate to. And you will see that as we go through that. I'm excited. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy, for who you are, for everything that you are, all that you do and all that you permit in our lives. And we want to know you more this evening through the pages of your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we continue through the book of the Judges in chapter 13, it's going to start off very familiar. They're going to be doing wrong. They're going to be turning away from the Lord. And the Lord is going to raise people up. But how he does it, especially in chapter 13, is really special. And we're going to see some misnomers, some things that people may believe about the Bible that are not true, being kind of shattered here. Because many people, I won't say all, I won't say most, but many people believe that you have an Old Testament with an angry God that just smites everybody all the time and casts all of the rules. And then... Um, somehow God made a mistake and he realized, you know what, I should be nice now and love everybody. So then he sends Jesus and then Jesus is just really nice all the time. But then he gets mad because everyone's mad at Jesus. And so now Jesus is going to come back again, very angry. And that's kind of how they think things work. They also think that really religious people, God loves them. And then the non-religious people that kind of do whatever they want, God doesn't love them, doesn't have a plan for them. Am I right? A lot of people think that way. And yet here, snuck into Judges chapter 13 with Samson, we're going to see that all those things are not true at all. And you're like, yeah, right. Show me. Okay, I will. Let's read verses 1 through 5 together to get started. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. A lot of things to unpack here. First, Zora, this town, it's about 14 miles west of Jerusalem, and it's in the region of the tribe of Dan, the Danites. And for 40 years, Israel has been under Philistine control. That's all their rituals, all their gods, all their people. And then we have this regular couple there who's just trying to make a life, and they can't have any kids. It's barren, and they have no children. We've been learning through the book of Judges that having children, having animals, makes you extremely rich, and they do not have any. Not having children is seen as a mark of sin. It's seen as you're not getting God's favor. And yet we're going to see here that that is a misnomer. That is not true. That's an incorrect perception. Because it says in verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. This is a very important phrase. The angel of the Lord. 
Now, before we leave this chapter this evening, we're going to have a crystal clear understanding of who this is. But seeing as I cannot keep a secret when it comes, I'm just going to tell you that this is what's called a theophany or a Christophany is another name for it. The angel of the Lord is Jesus himself, a pre-incarnate revelation. So Jesus here is already showing himself to this barren family, to the nation of Israel that's been in 40 years of bondage to the Philistines. You can't have darker times. They have no kids. They're wondering why, and yet the Lord comes to them. We've been learning on Sunday mornings in the Gospel of Matthew that God comes to us. He reaches out to us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He seeks us out. He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to rest. To, none should perish, but all should come to repentance is the word I'm looking for. And we've seen that he so loved the world that he gave his son. But I said earlier in our introduction, there's some people that believe that somehow Jesus is like the nice guy to make up for God and the Old Testament being the bad guy. And we have been seeing as we've studied from Genesis all the way up now to Judges 13, that Jesus is written all over the scriptures. So when we're in the Gospel of Matthew and he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When he tells the Pharisees, you seek in the scriptures daily, you seek, but they speak of me. Speaking of the Lord, we're finding that out. And so now the Lord is in front of this family, and he gives this incredible promise. He says, you're going to have a son. But then he tells them something unique. He tells her that she is to keep a Nazarite vow and that her son also needs to keep a Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow is found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. And in the Nazarite vow, you are to be 100% devoted to God. You do not cut your hair. You drink no wine. You eat no grapes or grape products. can't even touch them. And you avoid any contact with any dead animal or any dead thing, including your own family. So if you have a Nazarite vow, there are specific rules on what you can and cannot do if a close family member of yours dies. You can read them in Numbers chapter 6. What's unique is that the Nazarite vow is usually for a set, short period of time. But Samson is supposed to have this vow from being in the womb, not even childbirth, even in his mother's womb. Well, let's read now in verses 6 through 14. It says, So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death." Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you've sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife, 
And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her observe. So this is an incredible story. And we're just now scratching the surface. We're just getting started here. The Lord is speaking to her. And the first thing she does is she goes to her husband to tell her what happened. And here's his explanation. And I love what she says about him. It said in verse 6, So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. Now, that's something we say from California all the time. Oh, that's awesome. Man, that is so awesome. That's not what she's talking about. It doesn't mean cool or great. It means spectacular, the root of the word awe-inspiring, a sense of awe. This is incredible. Being with him was awe-inspiring. He has the countenance of the angel of God, not an angel, the angel of God. Also, whenever we see an encounter with a real angel, the angelic beings in the Bible, they fall in fear, whoever's around them because they're so powerful. But somehow with this angel of the Lord, it has a completely different reaction. Well, we know because I let the cat out of the bag, I told our secret that this is the Lord himself. That is so awe-inspiring. And what does her husband say? Oh, you dumb spiritual woman. You just, you just always have these weird things, you know, all the time just going off in your feelings. Absolutely not. He listens to her. He hears this story. And then what's his reaction? Do they discuss it? Does he just like, okay, well, I'm going to go in the garage, and then if something happens, let me know. He immediately prays to God himself. He goes and he seeks after the, uh, the Lord on his own. And so as he's praying, in verse 8, prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you set come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. He doesn't doubt her at all. He doesn't disbelieve it. He, he doesn't go to God and be like, God, is my wife crazy? If she's crazy, just let me know. I mean, I'll still love her. I'll still take care of her, you know. Just let me know. He goes right to her, right to the Lord. If th- this is going on, hey, can I please have a taste of this too? Can I see it myself as well? Please tell us about this promise. And I just think this is an amazing conversation that both of them are seeking after God. The other thing that's interesting, even the the Lord's coming to them, they're seeking after the Lord, they're asking these questions, is that the culture they're in with the Philistine culture that's imposing their will on the area, they're still seeking after Jehovah. There's no sense here of idolatry or following anything else. It's just a thing that we emphasize all the time, a personal, intimate relationship with God himself. All right, well, then it continues. The Lord answers in verse 9, God listened to the voice of Manoah. I mean, that's incredible even of itself. You just see how we're stacking up how awesome this chapter is. The angel of God came to the woman again. 
Now, I know I'm selfish, impatient, greedy, you know, a lot like Samson. Now, if the angel of God comes to my wife twice and I don't get to see it, I'm going to get a little annoyed. Like, that's not fair. You know, you spoke to her. Now it's my turn. I prayed. I asked you to come to me. But no, the angel of the Lord goes to her. And they have, again, another discussion. And the woman did what in verse 10 after seeing the Lord again? The woman ran in haste and told her husband, said, look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared. I think that's so awesome that she goes and she gets Manoah because the angels of the Lord is there. And then the angel of the Lord waits. And now Manoah gets to be involved as well. You know, I'm stretching. I totally understand. I'm stretching this. But how important it is for us as spouses to engage each other spiritually. And when we're engaging each other spiritually, to involve the other person in what's going on in our relationship with the Lord. And, you know, in too many Christian houses, you have a husband and a wife that each have a relationship with Jesus on their own. And then they come together and they talk about it instead of both of them having a relationship with Jesus together a relationship with God, where they're bringing each other into what the Lord is doing. Now, there's a variety of reasons for this. One, you can have that intimate relationship. Two, the communication. Three, you can enjoy God's blessings together. Number four, when you're crazy and you're going off the, well, the, the rails, your spouse can be like, you're crazy and you're going off the rails. You know, all good things. And so we need to be able to do that. I also want to go in another direction. Most of us here, not everybody because we all have different journeys, but most of us here have children of our own. And what was it like the first time you had a child? What was it like? What was your fears, your anxieties, your hopes, and your dreams, the preparation of the first time on your firstborn child? What was that like? And then on top of that, I want you to add the stress of God telling you you're going to have this supernatural child as well. Like, wow, what an incredible situation to be in. And I want to take it one step further. Now, for those of us that have had kids or, you know, you're able to engage in the conversation and follow us even if you didn't, what was it like for your parents to have you? What were their dreams for you? What were their hopes for you? What were their plans for you? I remember my youth pastor, you know, and I was crazy super crazy, and he was speaking my life. But I remember him telling me about kids. He said, having kids is perpetually lowering your expectations. I didn't know what that meant. I thought, man, that's depressing. And then I had kids. And now I'm perpetually lowering my expectations. But how high were those expectations when you, when you first had a kid? And I want you to think that about yourself, what your parents' thoughts were for you. And how does this all together tie with this scripture? Well, a lot of scholars debate, but if you go all the way back to verse 5, at the very end, when the Lord is first speaking to Samson's mom, the Lord says, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Not all, but many scholars believe that this is a prophecy. Notice it doesn't say he will deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. He will begin to deliver them from the hands. He will start. He won't finish it. 
you know, as incredible as Samson's life is, if this is true, the Lord is, he already knows what's going to happen in Samson's life. Now, we know that is true regardless because the Lord knows all things. God knows all things in all places. He's all ever-present, omnipresent. He's all-powerful, omnipotent. But he's also omniscient, all places at all times. But he also knows all things. So he, even though he's given us free will, he knows all of our decisions ahead of time. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the past, the present, and the future. So as he's having this relationship with Samson's parents, as they're going through these discussions and the back and the forth, and all their hopes and dreams for their son, the Lord knows the whole time. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Samson, you realize and you know that Samson is a story of a man who is given incredible strength from God and is able to perform incredible deeds, but he's a complete and other spiritual failure. I said earlier we were going to talk about some misnomers, about God loving religious people and not loving other people, about legalism and grace, because I say this to you now. Why did Jesus show up? Why is he there? Why does he pick Samson? Why does he pick this couple? He, he, he knows what Samson's going to do. There's a point and a purpose to this. You're going to have to come back next Wednesday, and I'll tell you. We'll find out. But now that we are putting ourselves in that headspace, we think about the expectations for our own lives from our parents and our expectations for our kids when they were born, we realize now that they're about to have a conversation. And so the three of them, mom and dad and the angel of the Lord, are together. And the only thing the Lord says is in verse 13, he just says, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And she's going to do it faithfully. I, got, I want to say something that's very important, especially to moms, older moms, especially to older moms that have children that are not walking with the Lord. We call them prodigal children. Maybe they accepted the Lord at one time and they are not walking with the Lord now. The Lord is spending time with mom, telling her what to do. She's going to do it and that's not going to change the direction of Samson's life. You have no control over that. Every human being has free will. And so the enemy continues to attack you, to make you think it's your fault if you had just done the right things, if you had just done it in the right way. Listen, there is no greater father than our Lord himself, and his own people forsook him. It is okay. Remember that God is a God of all comfort who comforts us. He understands. And so stop blaming yourself. Samson is going to be a great example. And I'm going to have a lot of fun teaching about it. I'll tell you that much. Well, we've got to get going. 15, verses 15 through 21. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. Here it is. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Just in case you didn't know, keep, keep tracking here. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when we put, 
when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took a young goat with a grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Notice it's a capital H as well for he. And so we're seeing this over and over again. It is being overemphasized that this is a theophany. This is the Lord himself. And Manoah, maybe he didn't know it. His wife definitely did. She understood his countenance, that he was awesome. And then he gives a hint here. He says, why do you want to know my name, seeing as it is wonderful? And you're like, well, oh, that kind of sounds familiar. You Bible students were like, man, that's, that really sounds familiar. And it's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is speaking of Jesus himself the king of kings. And then as he says, I'm not going to eat with you. He says, but you can have an offering before the Lord, the burnt offering. If you were with us in the book of Leviticus, you know that that's a fellowship offering. It, you're giving something that's being consumed before God and given to God. And so the Lord, the angel of the Lord says, if you want to have food with me, you want to have fellowship with me, we need to have a burnt offering for the, for the Lord, and then the fire that goes up, He goes up with it and ascends up into heaven. Just sealing this promise that God is in this. God has anointed this. And I think that Nazarite vow is super important. Why? I have no idea. I have no idea. Now, the Nazarite vow is like a, a priestly vow. It's a, a, a vow of dedication to God. But remember, I, I said we have this misnomer at least many people do, that God only loves the good Christians. He only loves the religious people. He only loves the ones that tithe 11%, not 10%. And everybody else, you know, they'll earn their way up there. That is absolutely not true. It's the exact opposite of the gospel. Because here we have the Lord himself going to this family, spending time with them, prophesying over them, fellowshipping with them, revealing himself to them. He's going to empower this child with supernatural strengths and gifts. And Samson is going to fail at every single turn. If there's a temptation, he will take it. If there's something he's supposed to resist, he will not resist it. He's going to be prideful, arrogant, full of strength. He's going to do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. I told you I can relate to this guy. And it's not good. And yet... The Lord is showing us a gospel message. In and of ourselves, in our flesh, dwells no good thing. Nothing. We're going to see that over and over again. But He came to save sinners. He came for the lost. He came for the brokenhearted. Because we can't do anything that matters aside from Him. And so He's going to be showing that to us through the life of Samson. Well, let's read verses 22 through 25. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die 
because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Maniadan, at Maniadan between Zorah and Eshtol. Man, she's smart. Now, I want to I make some parallels here. At the end of the day, they had a baby. Because the, the fact of the matter is, having another child is not a big deal. There are six billion people on this planet. They were all babies at one time. And if you think about every baby that was ever born, I mean, this is as common as it comes, having children, having babies, until you have one. And then that child is the most special creation in all of God's universe until they start talking and running. Then, again, perpetually lowering your expectations after that. But at the end of the day, this is Samson. But I want you to have that same parallel. As miraculous as this child is, can you imagine mom and dad as this child's born, oh, the things you're going to do. Oh, how amazing you're going to be. Maybe you'll be a king. Maybe you'll be a leader. Maybe you'll be a priest. God has come to us through you. And he is going to be an epic disappointment. Epic. And I can guarantee you right now, mom loved him all the days of her life, no matter how much havoc he caused. And shouldn't that give us a little bit of hope and a little bit of comfort knowing that God's involved in this family? God's involved in our families. He's involved in our mess-ups. He's involved in who we are. He knows everything about us. He hasn't left us or forsaken us. And yes, we're just another person. We have our own personalities, our own quirks, our own faults. I'm looking around in this fellowship. I don't see a normal person here. We're just all crazy. I've met most of you. You are. And yet, God is intimately involved in every single one of our lives, in every aspect of it. And He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. Now, look at the wisdom of Manoah. <laughs> Manoah just says, we're going to die. Now, he figures this out because no man can see God and live, right? That's what the Bible says. But he just saw the angel of the Lord, and he ascended up in a flame. Here we have the Trinity being shown to us in Judges chapter 13. Oh, yeah, the Trinity is only in the Gospels, and the Christians added it later on. Nope. It's clearly seen. The volume of the book speaks of him from Genesis to Revelation. And then his wife's real smart. Like, you think he would tell us all that stuff, what, to trick us? He could just make us vanish if he really wanted us to. And so then Samson is born. And we see immediately the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Well, we're going to close out tonight with this child, Samson, being born. We got a couple of chapters spending time with him. He is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm excited to spend time with him, to point out his weaknesses, only to show him because they are our weaknesses. And then ultimately, we're going to see the gospel and the grace of our Lord 
in each and every one of us. This evening on Wednesday nights, we like to spend the rest of the hour in prayer together. We pray one at a time, loud enough that we can all intercede for one another and agree with each other in prayer. We want to be praying for our missionaries. We want to be praying for people to become believers, to have their own journey, their own walk with the Lord. We want to pray for those that are hurting. We want to pray for those that are sick. And we want to pray for healings. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would guide and direct us this evening that you'd apply these words to us in our lives, that we'd be growing in you, growing spiritually, encouraging one another, Lord, that your will would be accomplished in Jesus' name.